Cooper and it gets over there, or, or you could just take the shortcut and go straight up the hill and over to the other side, or you could take the, the road that goes out over to this town over here and cuts back to the mill. We're all going the same place, we're just going different ways. But is that in the Bible? What I want to talk about this morning is where the denominations came from. You know, if you drove any distance to church and were paying attention, you probably drove past a lot of different churches. But why are you here? And, and what's the difference between this church and, and the one down the street that way and the one down the street this way? I want to look at where the denominations came from. But I think it's important in church not to give lessons to entertain people or give history lessons or something, although there'll be a lot of history. So I want to start from, from the Bible to kind of lay a foundation of when we study where the denominations came from. In Matthew 16 and verse 18, a lot of people were saying different things about who Jesus was. And one time he asked his disciples there with him, he says, who do men say that I am? And they answered him, well, some say that you're John the Baptist resurrected, and others say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're a prophet. And Jesus said, that's right, but who do you say that I am? Well, these men had been with him long enough that they knew who he was. Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, that's right, and on this rock I will build my church. What he was saying was on this confession, on this fact that you have stated that I'm the Son of God, I'm going to build my church. So Jesus said here in Matthew 16 that he was going to build his church. And then there were other uh, uh, discussions about the church that was to come. Jesus said, I will build my church. So it wasn't in existence then. But then we read about the day of Pentecost where the apostles after Jesus' resurrection received power and speaking in foreign languages and everyone was amazed. And then Peter preached to the people and convinced them that they had killed the Son of God. And they didn't realize it. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 we read that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So now the church has been established. Jesus in Matthew 16 was talking about in the future. In Acts chapter 2, it's present now because God's putting people into the church. So that's how the church was started. Now, if you want to study where the denominations came from, there are a lot of, um, uh, what do you call it, foreshadowing. You know, you see a movie and something happens, you go, ha, ah, this means something's going to happen later. Well, there's a lot of foreshadowing about what was going to happen after Jesus' death. In Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Let's see, let's begin in uh, verse 15. Jesus warns. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. In other words, someone that comes to you and looks all innocent and harmless and has got your best interest in mind, inside they can be someone that's ready to rob you or scam you or, or hurt you. Jesus said, beware of false prophets. In verse 21, he warns us. He says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know what the word Lord means? I mean, we usually think when we hear the word Lord, we think of Jesus. Lord means master. You have a Lord at work. Your boss is your Lord. He's your, he's your boss. So we're talking about people. We're not talking about other religions here. 
We're talking about Christians, people that admit that Jesus is their master. Not everyone that calls me master, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. He says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Have we not worshipped you all our lives? Jesus said, then I will profess, declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. So Jesus was warning us, got to be careful. Just because you think you're serving me doesn't mean you are. Um, in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 36, of course, Jesus was a Jew. He was raised under the Old Testament. He grew up under uh, the Jewish law. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus spends a long time condemning the religious leaders of his time. These were men that people looked up to and respected, and Jesus didn't have anything kind to say to them because they were not doing God's will. Even though they were religious leaders and, and acted like that to the people and the people looked up to them, they were wrong. And Jesus, you know, we talk about Jesus, you know, being love and merciful and God's gracious and everything. Go, go read Matthew chapter 23. Jesus, these are some really, really harsh words that Jesus was speaking to religious people, religious leaders. In Acts chapter 20, Paul called for the Ephesian elders and they came together. And Paul preached to them. And then he gets towards the end of his, his talking. Acts chapter 20. Verse 26, he says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. In other words, if something happens, it's not my fault. Why not? I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, or to the church, over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Paul says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Remember what Jesus warned about? Talking about false teachers coming in, going to destroy Christ's church. And, and Paul says, Also, from your own selves, from the elders that he was talking to, he says, of your own selves, men will arise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Jesus established one church, and he says, but Paul says, I know that after, after my departure, there's going to be people come in to destroy the church, and there's even going to be people, be people within the church that are going to do things to tear the church apart. Um, in 3 John chapter or 3 John, let's see, 3 John verses 9 and 10, John writes about Diotrephes, who wouldn't receive me, wouldn't receive John, because he liked to have preeminence in the church. In other words, here was a guy named Diotrephes that just kind of was being the boss of the church, and he wouldn't let other people come in. John said he liked to have the preeminence. Did you ever have a bully in school? Even if you weren't bullied, you probably saw other people that were bullied. You know, the interesting thing about bullies is they'll get involved in business that's none of their business. I mean, they've got these classes, and you've got these classes, and they see you, and they don't take, they take a dislike to you, and they just start bullying you. And, and they can go about their business 
and leave you alone and you can live happily ever after, but there's something inside a bully that just wants to be mean to other people. He wants to be bigger and tougher and, and prove to himself that he's big. You know, you're in traffic and you turn on your signal light and some person backs off and kind of, or maybe uh, you're waiting to turn in on the street out of McDonald's and someone stops and waves you on and, and you go on. Then there's other times when you turn on your signal light and the guy rushes up so you can't change lane. <laughs> Why do we get a thrill out of being mean to other people and hurting other people? That's just the way bullies are. And you think that bullies are in junior high and high school? Bullies grow up to be, you know, irate drivers and, and uh, uh, in government. What, is, what does it benefit Kim Jong-un in North Korea to persecute a whole nation of people? He could still live the lavish lifestyle he does and let the people do their own thing. What is it in him that makes him want to lord over other people? Well, there's even people in, in the church that do that. And John writes about Dr. Feast for whatever his ego hang-up was, he just wanted to be the top dog, and he didn't want other people coming in. So uh, this will play into the, where the denominations come from. Paul mentioned Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Unfortunately, in the church, there are bad people. Second Peter chapter 2 Beginning in verse 1, Peter's been making references back to the Old Testament. He says, But there are false teachers among the people, or false prophets among the people, even as there should be false teachers among you. Jesus warned about false teachers. Peter's doing the same thing. He said, They will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And he says, Many people will follow their destructive ways. Be, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Jesus, uh, Peter was warning there were going to be false teachers. First John chapter 4, verse 1, John warns, he says, Beloved, don't believe everything you hear. He says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they of God. And so whether I'm up here speaking, or Matt, or Mike, or anybody, you need to have your Bible out, you need to be taking notes, you need to be asking, is what he what God says. And of course, if it's not, we need to reject it. Everybody in the, in the Bible warned about false prophets. Um, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 real quick, beginning in about verse 10. Already, during Paul's lifetime, there were problems in the church. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions or quarrels among you. <clears throat> I'd be just like in our congregation of you know, this side of the congregation was following Matt, and this side of the congregation was following someone else, and these people were mad at these people in that group back there, didn't want anything to do with this. <clears throat> Paul says, it's been declared to me that there are quarrels among you. And I say this, that each of you says, oh, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, Peter, or I'm of Christ. Everyone was calling themselves by a different name. Paul says, is Christ divided? 
Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaslist. Anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Paul says, don't, let's not have divisions. We're all one. We belong to Christ. We don't belong to Paul or Paulus or somebody else. Don't be called by a man's name. Be called by Christ's name. Be a Christian. So already, Jesus hadn't been dead just a few years. Apostles were all still alive. And already there were divisions in the church. So let's go over real quickly. What, are, what is the, the makeup of the church? Jesus says, I will build my church. So what is the church? Well, in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, I want you to remember this verse. It's going to play into uh, church history here in just a minute. Ephesians chapter 1. Wait, what did I say? Yeah, Ephesians chapter 1 at the end of the chapter, verse 22. It's talking about God. And Jesus says that God has put all things under Jesus' feet. He has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus is the head of the church. Paul wrote the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 12 and 22. says, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So Jesus is the head of the church, and then all of us are the body of Christ. Um, when Paul was writing to the Philippians, the Philippian letter, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 2, he wrote to the saints and the bishops and the deacons which were in Philippi. So the church consisted of saints, that's Christians, all of us are saints, and there within the church were bishops, or what we call elders, and there were deacons. Paul told uh, Timothy, well, in Ephesians chapter 4, 11, it says, God says, and <clears throat> Paul says, and he gave some to be prophets and apostles and uh, evangelists. So we find evangelists in the church also. Of course, the prophets were all witnesses. So once they all died, the ones that had seen Jesus, then we don't have any more prophets. So in the church, we've got bishops or elders. We've got deacons. We've got saints, the members, and then we've got evangelists. If you study that, evangelists were ones that traveled around from church to church. So now let's get into the... So that's what the church is made up of. Very simple, isn't it? Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He says, I fear lest you be beguiled or tricked from the simplicity which is in Christ. I want you to remember that verse too the simplicity which was in Christ. So what's the history of the church? Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says, I will build my church. Acts chapter 2, and verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So in Acts chapter 2, which was a year about, about the year A.D. 30, 31, 32, 33, I don't know, somewhere in there after Jesus died, the church was established. And then in Acts chapter 8, in verse 1, after Stephen had been stoned, the Bible says, and Saul, or Paul, was consenting to his death. And there arose a great persecution against the church. So, um, in this church, at first the persecution was from the Jewish leadership that resented Jesus. But then the persecution began to be from uh, the Romans, because the church was started in the Roman Empire. Uh, 
some of the uh, emperors, Roman emperors, you may remember Tiberius Caesar. Uh, he's the one that was in power when Jesus was crucified. Nero, you've heard about Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Nero was a builder. And as far as historians can tell, he's the one that actually started the fires that burned down Rome so he could rebuild it. But he needed a scapegoat to take the heat off himself, so who did he blame? He blamed the Christians, and he uh, persecuted the Christians. And you, can, you need to read all this stuff for yourself, because there's a lot of stuff I can't tell here. But he would, he would kill Christians by the thousands. He would throw them to the wild beast. He would uh, douse them in pitch, which is kind of like tar, and he would set them on fire, and then he would ride around in his chariot at nighttime while these Christians were burning to death and lighting up the sky. Horrible person, really persecuted the church. Vespasian, or Vespasian, however you say his name, uh, during his time was the destruction of Jerusalem that we read about in Acts 24, 25, somewhere in there. And then there was Hadrian. Remember Hadrian's Wall in England? Uh, the Emperor Hadrian, he's the one that banished John. Uh, Book of Revelation, John says he was on the island of Patmos. He had been banished there. He was banished by Hadrian. So these are just some of the, the emperors whose names you'll recognize. And they all persecuted the church. Now we read in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, that they were persecuted, were scattered, and went everywhere preaching the, the gospel. The interesting thing is, if you read the story of God's people in the Old Testament, and then even here in the New Testament, when the church was persecuted, it grew. Now the purpose of persecution is to try to stomp out the church and squash it and keep it from growing, but the odd thing is, when the church is persecuted, it grows. Those that were persecuted were scattered abroad and whenever we're preaching the gospel. It's like when you sit at home and you sit in front of the TV or sit there with your phone and uh, not do anything, you get fat and lazy. You're out in the heat and working hard and sweating and, and you know working really hard, you're growing stronger. When the church is persecuted or God's people are persecuted, it grows stronger. When things are good, that's when the church grows fat and lazy and, and problems enter. So the church grew even during the time of the persecution. But then there was an emperor. There were a lot of emperors. Some of them didn't mind the Christians. A few of them liked the Christians. And a lot of them were just hostile to the Christians, killed thousands and thousands of Christians. But then there was an emperor named Constantine. You've heard of the town of Constantinople? Constantine, and he became a Christian. And he declared that Christianity was the... Uh, well, no, it was Theo, uh, Theodosius later that made Christianity the national religion. But then after this Roman emperor, kind of like President Trump, or Obama, whoever, the president, became a Christian, then the church and the, the government started getting intermixed. And then, like I said, there was another emperor a few years later, Theodosius, who made Christianity the state religion. And so then the church the simplicity of the church, all of a sudden it's not simple anymore and it started becoming more and more like the Roman Empire. And the church rulers and the, the um, uh, government rulers kind of started becoming the same person. Then there was a conversion of the barbarians, the Goths, the Vandals, the Huns. And one of the problems with this is these people weren't really converted, but when they were supposedly part of the church, then they started bringing in their pagan practices. And the church just started going downhill and getting more polluted from there. 
Uh, Constantine considered himself the head of the church. Now, who do we read in Ephesians as the head of the church? Constantine considered himself the head of the church. And there were five major towns, big towns back then. There was Alexandria in Egypt, Constantinople, I think in Turkey, Jerusalem, Antioch, and Rome. And then these guys, at first, we have elders over each congregation. And the elders here, they don't try to run the business in Gunner. If there's a problem over in Gunner, those elders over there deal with it. These elders deal with these problems. Other elders in Burleson or wherever, they're separate. We're friends, we work together, uh, we communicate, we help each other, but we take care of ourselves here. What happened was, at each of these churches, there began to get be one man that was head bishop or head elder, and he was kind of head over everywhere else. And then as that took on, then he got certain cities, those five I mentioned, where those bishops were head not only of their church, but all the areas around it, and pretty soon, uh, those five controlled all the churches everywhere. Um, and then the Bishop of Rome, each of these guys keeps getting more and more powerful, the Bishop of Rome, Sericius, uh, in uh, 385 to 398, he claimed universal jurisdiction over the church. Uh, Leo I in the 400s, the mid-400s, was called by some the first pope. He claimed he was by divine appointment primate of all bishops. You see the problem? You remember I talked about bullies that just like to get involved in stuff that's none of their business and they like to be the big shot? Remember diatrophies like to have preeminence? The same thing, the same thing happened with all these men. Uh, and the problem was with this guy, Leo I, who claimed to be uh, primate of all bishops, the emperor of Rome recognized his claim. That would be like if, if uh, uh, Yancey said, I'm head of all the churches of Christ in Texas. Of course, you and I would <laughs> no, you're not. And President Trump says, I agree with that. What does that do? Now that gives Yancey some power from the government. So now when we're resisting Yancey, we're resisting the government. You see the problem here? Government and church are getting intertangled. Now the church isn't a spiritual organization, but now it's a political organization. So then there's the fall of the Roman Empire. You studied that in school. The problem with this was that left the popes and the patriarchs, these five cities I named their bishops, began to be called patriarchs. That left these guys free from civil authority. There used to be a Roman Empire that was over all this area. Now there were these just little local kingdoms and city-states. But these five men uh, still held on to their power. The Pope became the most commanding figure in the West. And then uh, there were so many things introduced by the popes and the bishops and everything. There were indulgences where you could pay the church, so then it made it all right to go out and sin. They introduced the doctrine of transubstantiation. What that means is, we've got the communion here, the bread and the fruit of the vine. When you take it, it instantly turns in to the literal body of Christ in blood. That's what that doctrine is. They came up with the doctrine of the original sin, that these little bitty babies that have not committed any sin, they're just full of sin because of Adam. They came up with uh, what's called 
oracle confession. That means you've got to go into a box and rather than do like we did and pray to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, you've got to, you can't go to Jesus. You've got to go into a little box and you've got to talk to a priest and then he'll go to Jesus for you. They introduced the practice of praying through Mary. Uh, the celibacy of the priest, which means that a priest cannot get married. And if you follow the news, you know that the Catholic Church is just rocked with scandals and lawsuits because of sexual immorality within the Catholic Church because of the celibacy of priests. Paul wrote Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. He said that there would be those that would come along forbidding to marry. The Bible teaches that marriage is good and honorable in all things. And yet men changed that and perverted it. Another thing that the Catholic Church brought in was death for heresy. You say, well, I'm not exactly sure that I agree with this practice that we've got here at church. Well, <laughs> you just signed your death sentence. Thousands and millions of people were killed by the church, not by the Romans, but by the church. Uh, the church services were held in Latin. The people couldn't understand what was being said. Um, I think it was Pope Innocent the Third. Uh, I think it was him that forbade Christians from owning Bibles, and you couldn't read the Bible in English. You could you could read it in Latin. How many people speak Latin? You couldn't read the Bible in English, but you could read it in Latin. Uh, one time they finally uh, forbade Christians from owning Bibles, and then uh, it was um, Pope Innocent the Third that declared the infallibility of the Pope. That means he just, when he says something, that's the law of God. He can't be mistaken. Whatever he says goes. Now, two things seemingly unrelated to the church happened. You know who Johannes Gutenberg was? He was a guy that invented the printing press. This happened in 1440. Now, from the time of uh, Paul, all through the Dark Ages and Medieval Ages, the Catholic Church, like we've talked about, was getting more and more powerful, and they just controlled all of Europe and, and a lot of outside Europe. And they controlled what the people could hear. But then Gutenberg, in Germany, invented the printing press. Instead of taking a year to copy a Bible, you could print Bibles, you know, about the hundreds and thousands, and the price came down, you could afford on a Bible. What happened in 1492? 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. He discovered the Western Hemisphere. Those seem unrelated, but they're not. Then on October 31st, just, uh, what, 503 years ago, Martin Luther uh, posted what he called the 95 Theses on the church doors in uh, Wittenberg, Germany. And what this did was struck at the authority of the Pope. And you might not think that's too bad if we came to church and uh, uh, somebody had, you know, tacked some stuff on the church door, you know, saying they disagreed with us. Martin Luther was risking his life. As a matter of fact, someone had to hide him for a year. Uh, at one point he was at some meeting or something of church leaders. And he could have been arrested and put to death then, but he had too many friends within that group. But then later he had to go into hiding. And what he was saying was, the Pope doesn't run things. Christ runs things. Well, when this began to open the door 
for other people, and we had what we called the Reformation. People like Martin Luther and Sweeney, John Calvin, John Knox, people you've heard of, they, they grew bold and they stood up and they said, what, what you're doing, what the Catholic Church is doing is not right. And they started fighting back against this. And that's what we call the Reformation. Well, as you can imagine, the Pope and all these patriarchs, they didn't like that. So then we had the religious wars for about the next, I think, 100, from about 1546 to 1648. It's about 100 years. The church killed thousands and thousands and hundreds, of, or not the church, the Catholic church killed hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Christians, of Protestants. Speaking of that, I remember when I was in French class back in high school, the teacher asked, we got on a conversation, a tangent one day, and the teacher said, how many of y'all are Protestants? Well, we don't know what a Protestant was. So the teacher, she was Catholic, she was from France. She gave us a real quick history lesson. She said there was a Catholic church, and in the 1500s, all these men like Martin Luther protested against the Catholic church. And so then you, later you had the Lutherans and the Methodists and Presbyterians and Episcopals and all this. These were the ones that had protested. These were the Protestants. So you're either Catholic or Protestant. And so I had my, one of my first religious lessons in French class. And then another thing happened. America was colonized. You hear about the Pilgrims and the Quakers, all these people that came from England and other countries in Europe. And they came to the United States seeking religious freedom. Because over there where they were, you could get killed for saying anything that differed with what was popular. So after Martin Luther and all these other guys, then there began to, uh, a lot of denominations started coming about. What does denomination mean? Denomination means, I forgot to look up the exact meaning, but it means differences. You have different denominations of coins. They're all money, but they're different denominations. You have quarters and nickels and dimes and dollar bills and five dollar bills and hundred dollar Different denominations of currency. Denominations means uh, divisions or differences. So now we have denominations. And I'll just go over some of these real quick. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> um, I believe it was Martin Luther that didn't want, you know, when he rebelled against the church, uh, the Catholic church, he didn't want his followers to call themselves Lutherans. But, you know, what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians, uh, sure enough, the people that started following the Lutherans' teachers called themselves Lutherans. The Methodist church came about based on the teachings of John and Charles Wesley. You probably heard that name. Uh, the Presbyterian church is based on the teachings of John Calvin. Uh, and these were kind of, there was no date where you say the church was started, but it just kind of grew out of these men's teachings. But then you had others, like Henry VIII in England, he wanted to marry Catherine of Aragon. Catherine was uh, uh, Ferdinand and Isabel. Remember Columbus? He was financed by Ferdinand and Isabel to come on his voyages. Well, their daughter, Henry VIII, wanted to marry her and he couldn't because it was against the Catholic Church to get divorced, so he rejected the uh, authority of the Pope, and so the church that was in England became, the Catholic Church that was there became the Church of England. So people started, or churches came about for just all sorts of different reasons. Uh, the Church of God 
was started in the early 1900s based on the teachings of a man named A.J. Tomlinson. And later from the Church of God, you have uh, uh, Pentecostals. That was just kind of a growth of that. And I'm not picking on anyone. I'm just saying, you know, these churches, you drive down the street and wonder where they came from. What's the difference? Is this, this is where they came from. The Seventh-day Adventists were based on the teachings of William Miller in the early 1800s. Uh, the Episcopals is basically the American version of the Church of England. Church of Christ scientists were, were started by a woman named Mary Baker Eddy. In 1866, uh, I didn't go into detail, she had something seriously wrong with her, and she read some passage in the Bible and just instantly cured. And so she started what is called the Church of Christ scientists based on this. And, and then... Uh, Let's see, Jehovah's Witnesses were started by Charles Taze Russell in 1884, or maybe not his teachings, you know. And then the Mormons uh, were started by Joseph Smith in the 1830. And there's hundreds of denominations. There are denominations I have never heard of. Um, but that's, you had the Catholic Church that grew out of the corrupted church of Jesus. And then you had the Protestants, and then, of course, that kind of opened the door to, uh, for all these other denominations to be started. But then, that's what you call the Reformation. But then in the United States, people started looking at all the denominations. Remember those verses we read about where there was one church? Why are there so many now? And so there were a group of men... Uh, Phil Thomas and Alexander Campbell, that was the father and the son. Uh, Barton W. Stone. Uh, there was a guy called Raccoon John Smith. And these men began to see all the, the divisions and said, what's the deal here? This, this can't be right. And so they came up with phrases like, we're going to speak where the Bible speaks, and we're going to be silent where the Bible's silent. In other words, we're just going to use the Bible, what it says for our rule book. And uh, they tried to get back to the simplicity in Christ. See, the problem with people like Martin Luther was that they didn't start from scratch. One time I was at the fire station, I was making biscuits from scratch, and someone was talking to me. And all of a sudden I looked at it, and I said, this doesn't look right. I'd put too much of something in it. Rather than trying to figure out what I'd done wrong, I just threw the whole thing out and started over. And the biscuits turned out good. I didn't try to fix whatever was wrong. Well, that was the problem with the Reformation. They uh, were just trying to fix the, the Catholic Church. These men in the United States in the 1800s, they were trying to restore the church that Jesus had founded. Just, just start over, start from scratch and do it right. Now, the, the Catholic Church, sometimes it's important to say that we can trace something all the way back to the beginning. For example, Jesus, it was prophesied that he would come from the tribe of Judah. So it was therefore important to be able to trace his lineage all the way back to the tribe of Judah. Other times it's not important. Is it important that we as we call ourselves the Church of Christ. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church, the Church of Christ. Is it important that we can say, well, we can trace ourselves all the way back to the day of Pentecost? 
Well, let's think about that for a minute. Suppose a guy from Nigeria came over here to the United States to go to college, and he comes over here, and wherever he's going to college, he's got a baseball team. And he watches baseball on TV, and he goes, this is, I love this sport. This is so cool. We don't have anything like this in Nigeria. And so he graduates college, and he goes back to Nigeria, and he's telling everyone about this wonderful game he saw on TV called baseball. He said, I want to do this. And they're interested. He goes, man, that sounds like a lot of fun. We don't have anything to lock that over here. What do we do? He goes, well, I brought back a book, The Rules of the Major League Baseball Association. Here's how you play the game. And so they sit down, and they start reading the book, and they follow all the rules. They measure the right distance between all the bases. And they put the pitcher's mound out there. They've got nine guys out on the field, not 10 like softball, but they got nine guys, the bats, the ball is a regulation baseball, and they start following the rules. Well, that's not really baseball. Why not? Just because it wasn't started in the United States, it's still baseball. They're following the same rules. They're playing it exactly the same. Suppose uh, they get a bunch of good athletes over there, and those guys are just phenomenal baseball players. And they call the Major League Baseball Association in the United States, hey, we want to play some of your teams. No, y'all aren't legitimate. What do you mean? We're playing by the same rules y'all do. Of course. You don't, have to, you don't have to say, well, we got all our athletes from the United States. You play by the same rules, it's the same game. You play Monopoly at your house, and I play Monopoly at my house. We're playing the same game. I don't have to know you're playing Monopoly. I don't have to go over and talk to you. We don't have to discuss it. If you're playing by the same rules, it's the same game. Anytime a group of people can take God's Word and read it and do it what it says, the way it says to do it, you're going to have a church. That same guy from Nigeria, he can go back and say, I went to a church. It was amazing. It's the truth. I studied it for myself. It's true. Well, what do you do? I brought the book of rules. We can do it here too. You don't have to trace it all the way back to Peter and the day of Pentecost. Anytime you, you get the rule book and you play by the, the rules, you've got, you've got a church of Christ. Back in the Old Testament, there was a king. If you study the history of the Old Testament, the people went into the promised land and they obeyed God and then they started disobeying him. And so then he'd bring in a nation to overrun them, put them in captivity. And after a while, oh, this is terrible. We've sinned. We, we're so sorry we did that. And then God would say, okay, I hear your prayers. So then he would give them freedom. When things got good again, what happened? They got fat and lazy. They forgot God. God bring another people in to overrun them. Well, there was this one king, he became the king when he was six or eight years old, I forget. And he was a good guy. He said he was like his father, David. Not his father, but his grand, great-grandfather, whoever. He had a good heart. And so he started trying to clean up everything around him. And they were going to rebuild the temple. And in 2 Kings chapter 22, and verse 8, then uh, Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Saphon the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. They were cleaning out the temple. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. 
So Shaphan, the scribe, went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work. They were financing the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, then Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given the book. Shaphan read it before the king. Now the king heard the words of the book of the law of the Old Testament. That's what he heard that he tore his clothes. Why did he do that? He was upset because he realized that he and the nation of all the Jews, that they hadn't been following God's word. Um, <clears throat> so the king said, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah, concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us. Because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written and concerning us. And you can go back and read the rest of the story in 2 Kings, but God was very pleased with him that he had a good heart and he was honest and he wanted to follow God the way God said to do things. And so that's where the denominations came from. And that's kind of how the church fits in with all this stuff. And I would, I would advise you to do some more reading. It's fascinating. It's, it's amazing. It's like a mystery novel. You just can't wait to see what happens next. So what can we learn from this? You know, it's important to learn from our mistakes so that we don't keep making the same mistakes. Learn from the mistakes of other people so you don't have to be other people. <laughs> what can we learn from this? Well, the first thing we can learn is that, that when you put one man in charge, Changes happen fast. And sometimes that's good. When the Chrysler Corporation was having problems and they brought in Lee Iacocca, he turned the company around and saved, saved the company and made it a profitable company. Sometimes that's a good thing. But other times that's a bad thing. Anytime you read in the Bible about the elders in the church, it always talks about elders. It doesn't talk about the elder or a elder. There's always a plurality of elders. You know, one guy can come up with some broad idea, and he's got two or three other guys to rein him in and say, well, I don't think that's such a good idea. But when you put one man in charge, changes can happen faster. Bad changes can happen faster. Another thing we can learn from studying the history of the church is that little changes lead to big changes. At first, some of these things were just little, and you know, you and I could discuss it, and I could say, well, I don't think that's a good idea. And you could say, well, what's wrong with it? Oh, I can't put my finger on it. It just, just doesn't sound right. Well, sure enough, those little changes led to big, big, big changes. And the third thing that we can learn is don't add to what God said and don't take away. From, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, there are warnings in the Bible to say don't add to God's word, don't take away from it. And all these denominations, for a long time, some of these denominations have gotten away from their books, but all these denominations had some book in addition to the Bible. The Catholics have the Catechism, there used to be a Baptist manual. Um, I think it's the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Watchtower, is that right? They say that you can't be saved without their publications. In other words, you can't be saved with just this. And all these denominations had an additional book that they went by, the Book of Mormon. 
we need to just stick to what God has said. Paul wrote Timothy, and he said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine. That's what we believe. He says that the man of God may be perfect. He doesn't mean flawless. He means complete. We've got everything here. Paul told the Ephesians elders, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. If we'll just take the rule book and play by it, we'll all be playing the same game, and then there won't be all these divisions and differences in the church. So we always offer what we call a song of invitation. And uh, you've heard me say it before that you don't have to come up here and confess anything to us. All you need to do is confess to Jesus. And so as we sing this song, or sing this song listen to the words of it. And if there's a change that you need to make in your life, don't, don't wait till January 1st to do it. Don't wait until tomorrow. Do it today. Make the change you need to make. Think about it while we sing this song. <laughs>